The Biden administration clings to the lie that more spending means lower deficits, as former Clinton Treasury Secretary Larry Summers warns of stagflation. The Russian assault on Ukraine continues, and world finance begins to reshape itself around spheres of influence. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, you're paying too much for everything right now, and it's likely to get a lot worse, which is why you need to go through your monthly bill right now, figure out what you're paying too much for, and figure out how you can reduce that. Well, I have a solution for you right now when it comes to your cell phone bill. You're paying way too much money for Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile. They spend all that money on marketing or on woke social justice initiatives. Instead, head on over to Pure Talk. They give you killer 5G coverage on the same 5G network as one of those big guys for about half the cost. The average family is saving over 800 bucks a year. So what exactly is your excuse? I made the switch. You can keep your number, keep your phone, or get huge discounts on the latest iPhones and Androids. Get unlimited talk, text, six gigs of data for just 30 bucks a month. And listen, if you still want unlimited data, you can get it and still save a fortune. Go to puretalk.com, shop for the plan that's right for you. They have a 30-day risk-free guarantee, so you literally have nothing to lose. Head on over to puretalk.com, enter promo code SHAPIRO. You will save 50% off your very first month of coverage. That is puretalk.com. Promo code Shapiro. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Get the coverage you need at a price you want. PureTalk.com. Promo code Shapiro to get started. Well, the Federal Reserve is expected to raise its interest rates this week. They're expected to raise about two five basis points, 25 basis points, 0.25%. That is really not the signal that markets are looking at. They're looking to see whether Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve announced that there's going to be an acceleration in the rate of increase. Like, is there going to be a half basis point increase next time around? Is it like a 0.5%? Is that going to happen next time around? Are we going to have to accelerate the interest rates faster than normal? See, the the, the Federal Reserve typically only raises or lowers the interest rates in 0.25% increments, and they do that fairly regularly. However, when they they start raising it at 0.5, for example, the markets start to get a little bit scared. But here is the problem. The Biden administration clings to the Bizarre fiction that if it spends more money, inflation is going to go down. Meanwhile, we have supply chain problems that continue. We have Hong Kong being absolutely ravaged by COVID. China is shutting down manufacturing centers. Again, we have the Russia-Ukraine war, which is having an impact on those supply chains and on gas prices. And meanwhile, the Biden administration wants to spend more money and the Federal Reserve doesn't really know what to do because, again, they've exhausted a lot of their resources here. And if they ramp up the interest rate too fast, then you're going to see stagflation. And this is precisely what Lawrence Summers is warning about right now. See, here's the thing. Lauren Summers warned a little bit earlier last year that there was going to be mass inflation and the entire economic world basically laughed at him. They said, no, we haven't had serious inflation in this country for 40 years. Well, here we are. We have serious inflation in this country. In the Washington Post today, Lauren Summers, again, he's the Clinton Treasury Secretary. He writes, when the long-awaited process of raising interest rates begins Wednesday, market observers will fixate on the precise words used in the Fed statement and during Chair Jerome Powell's news conference. The focus will be on what they signal about the number of rate increases coming this year and next, as well as the schedule for selling down the bonds the Fed accumulated during the pandemic. Remember, the Federal Reserve engaged in quantitative easing by buying up extraordinary amounts of debt on the public markets and then just bought all of that stuff. So they have a a huge asset base that they now want to sell off, which, of course, is going to undercut the price of those assets. The hope is that the Fed can engineer the proverbial soft landing, says Summers, whereby inflation returns to about 2% and the economy remains strong without a substantial increase in unemployment. Judging by their standards today, Powell and his colleagues seem to believe they have a good chance of success. Anything is possible, 
And wishful thinking can sometimes prove self-fulfilling, says Summers. But I believe the Fed has not internalized the magnitude of its errors over the past year, is operating with an inappropriate and dangerous framework, and needs to take far stronger action to support price stability than appears likely. The Fed's current policy trajectory is likely to lead to stagflation, with average unemployment and inflation both averaging over 5% over the next few years, and ultimately to a major recession. There's a pretty significant statement there from Lawrence Summers. He says, indeed, recent research I conducted with my Harvard colleague, Alex Domash, shows that overheating conditions of high inflation and low unemployment are usually followed in short order by recession. A year ago, the Fed thought inflation would be in the 2% range for the next year. Six months ago, it was expressing optimism inflation was transitory. Two weeks ago, it was still buying mortgage-backed securities, even as house prices had increased by more than 20%. No explanation has been offered for these rather momentous errors, nor is there any suggestion that Fed forecasting procedures or the personnel who produce them will change. Indeed, the most important change in the March monetary policy reports of Congress was in the wrong direction. The removal of the discussion of various monetary policy rules that had suggested policy was dangerously loose. So there's little basis for confidence, says Summers, in the Fed's assessment of inflation risk. With extraordinarily tight labor markets getting tighter by the available measures and wage inflation running at 6% and accelerating, high inflation was a major risk even before the events of recent weeks. We now face major new inflation pressures from higher energy prices, sharp run-ups in grain prices due to Ukraine, and the potentially many more supply chain interruptions as COVID-19 forces lockdowns in China. It would not be surprising if these factors added three percentage points to inflation in 2022. Three percentage points. We're already at 8%, man. You're talking about 11% inflation. And with price increases outstripping wage increases, a wage price spiral is a major risk. That's what happens when you have to increase wages to keep up with the inflation, which only raises the prices, which leads to a higher rate of demand for wages. That's the spiral. In August 2020, says Summers, the Fed announced a new policy that might never have been prudent, but certainly is not today. It held out the prospect that above normal inflation can be fine for an extended period of time and ended the traditional Fed approach of responding to expected inflation before it materialized. Essentially, officials switched from the Fed's traditional removing the punch bowl before the party gets good to an approach of the punch bowl makes people happy. We will remove it only when we see people keeling over drunk. In today's high inflation environment, this new framework should be abandoned. Summer says price stability is essential for sustained maximum employment. Overheating the economy leads to stagflation and higher levels of average unemployment through time. There can be no reliable progress against inflation without substantial increases in real interest rates, which means temporary increases in unemployment. Real short-term interest rates are currently lower than at any point in decades. They'll likely have to reach levels of at least 2 or 3% for inflation to be brought under control. With inflation running above 3%, this means rates of 5% or more, something markets currently regard as almost unimaginable. So Summers thinks that they're just going to screw this thing up pretty dramatically. And that instead of cracking down and taking the short-term pain, instead, they're going to take long-term pain to avoid the short-term pain altogether. That seems to be the, the general take here from, from Lauren Summers. And that is scary stuff because obviously, listen, I didn't think that it was possible for Joe Biden and the Federal Reserve to blow it this bad. I really didn't. When Joe Biden was elected in January of 2020, I thought to myself, well, uh, January 2021, rather, I thought to myself, well, you know, this... This should be pretty easy for him. All he has to do is just get out of the way. And instead, he pursued a massive regulatory policy. He blew a bunch of money into the economy. He encouraged the Federal Reserve to keep buying assets. He created a lockdown mentality that led the Federal Reserve to continue to inject money into the economy. And this is the result. And the Biden administration just doesn't know what to do with it. So, for example, Joe Biden is out there just doing happy talk. Yesterday, the president of the United States He's still bragging about this idea that he is creating a decline in the deficit. He's not creating a decline in the deficit. The, the, the national debt in the United States continues to rise at extraordinary rates. 
What he is talking about is that we are going to have less of a deficit this year than we had last year. That's not a decline in the deficit in any real sense. That's like saying, you know, I, I outspent my salary by a factor of two last month. This month, I only outspent my salary by a factor of one and a half. I'm bringing down the deficit. This is what Joe Biden means, and it's crazy. After four years in a row of increasing deficits before I took office, we're now on a track to see the largest ever decline in the, in the deficit in American history. So first of all, he doesn't sound like he is. is I mean, he's no, he's no longer conscious. When he speaks, he sounds like he is falling asleep, as the rest of us are when he speaks. But if he's delusional enough to believe that he's bringing down the deficit at record rates, he's out of his mind. Again, if you blow out your budget and then you blow it out slightly less this year, you don't get to claim that you're engaged in wild deficit reduction. Pete Buttigieg, meanwhile, who is back from paternity leave, and he left his brain on paternity leave. So I just wish the rest of him would go as well. He, he says that spending actually reduces the deficit, which is an interesting take. Some of the investments that we make uh, help with inflation. I mean, that's definitely true with the infrastructure investments, right? Because we know how infrastructure is related to supply chain. Supply chain is related to inflation. It's one of the reasons why, you know, when there was this, this big fight over whether the infrastructure bill was going to be a problem for inflation, you had a lot of economists saying, actually, this and then the Build Back Better vision, you know, taken together, this is going to ease inflationary pressures. Hmm. It's going to ease inflationary pressures, says Pete Buttigieg, who's been amazing at this. By the way, Pete Buttigieg is also acknowledging that despite the fact that he is Secretary of Transportation, we still have a massive supply backlog. So well done there. At least he likes choo-choo trains and finds airports romantic. Again, the, the fact that he was selected for Secretary of Transportation based on the fact that he couldn't fill potholes in South Bend, Indiana, but he also is gay. I mean, that's his actual resume. It's pretty incredible. Here he is admitting that he's bad at his job. Just because you see fewer ships off the coast of, of a place like L.A. Long Beach, that's not automatically a sign of progress because there is a new system for queuing that makes more sense environmentally. It's the right thing to do. But I don't want anybody to think that that, that should should be confused with kind of solving the issue. That's why what we really count is how many ships are on their way. Yeah, so um, good luck to you. Meanwhile, again, the Federal Reserve is kind of stuck here. Stephen Ratner and the, all these officials who I'm citing right here are Democratic officials. Larry Summers is a liberal. Larry Summers was the Clinton Treasury Secretary. Now I'm going to cite Stephen Ratner, who's counselor to the Treasury Secretary under Barack Obama. And he writes today in the New York Times, we were worried about inflation and then Russia invaded Ukraine. He says, while the extraordinarily strict sanctions imposed on Russia constitute an admirable policy response to its appalling invasion of Ukraine, we should not be complacent about the potential boomerang effect on the global economy. The shunning of Russian petroleum has already caused oil prices to jump. Prices of corn and wheat, major exports of both Russia and Ukraine have been soaring, in the case of wheat, to levels not seen since 2008. That comes as we already endure the highest inflation in 40 years. More inflation means slower growth. On the demand side, the bite of inflation will leave households with less money to spend. On the supply side, already stretched supply lines will be further challenged by repercussions from the war in Ukraine. This week, the Federal Reserve will meet to try to navigate the conflicting challenges of slower growth and rising inflation, a combination that can easily become stagflation. Before Russia invaded Ukraine, our immediate economic problem was inflation. A combination of excessive stimulus from overly large fiscal rescue packages and overly expansive monetary policy and pent-up demand from Americans unable to spend during the pandemic stoked a rush of consumer buying. Facing their own virus-related difficulties, supply lines have been unable to cope with the surge in demand. In addition to the energy and food, Russia and Ukraine supply significant amounts of import materials and components for manufacturing. Roughly 40% of the world's palladium, which is used in catalytic converters and cars, comes from Russia. 70% of the world's neon, central to the production of semiconductors, comes from Ukraine. 
As we learned during COVID, an inability to source even one small part can hurt a company's ability to manufacture its product. The Federal Reserve, says Stephen Radder, now faces its most significant policy dilemma since our last bout of inflation four decades ago. If the Fed leans toward taming inflation, we face higher interest rates, slower growth, even recession. Holding back on increasing interest rates risks inflation remaining high or even accelerating. The Fed signaled that it will proceed cautiously at its meeting this week. Before the invasion, many inflation warriors, including me, were hoping for a half-point increase to attack rising prices more forcefully. But instead, it looks like they're going to do a quarter-point increase. When it comes to tackling inflation, the Fed is, for all practical purposes, the only game in town. Nonetheless, eager to show engagement, the White House has taken a few small more steps, like releasing oil from our strategic petroleum reserve and jawboning companies not to raise prices. But these are charades designed to hold up Biden's flagging approval ratings. None holds the prospect of a measurable impact on inflation in the near term, says Stephen Ratner. He says, slower growth, weak stock markets, a tougher housing market, stagflation, possibly a recession may be on the horizon. That is the price we must pay for bad fiscal and monetary policies, as well as the meritorious effort to keep Ukraine from Russian domination. So in other words, prepare for pain. That is the the message coming out of the economic wonks these days, particularly the ones who didn't buy into the rose-colored glasses the Biden administration was selling for the first year of the administration. Now, stock futures are gaining because the stock market seems to be invested in the idea that Jerome Powell knows what he's doing, despite the, the record of the last couple of years. According to the Wall Street Journal, U.S. stock futures gained, bond yields rose, ahead of an expected interest rate increase from the Federal Reserve. Technology stocks led to a blistering rebound in Chinese markets after supportive comments from Beijing policymakers. Chinese officials are saying they would coordinate pandemic prevention and control and economic development, keep their economy operating within a reasonable range, and keep the capital market running smoothly, which eased some fears. So Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index soared about 9%, led by gains in technology stocks. Now, how much you wish to trust the Chinese government, I think, is uh, is another question at this point, because it's not like they've lied before. I mean, they have. They can pretend that they have not. In a second, we're going to get to how this is all reshifting global financial markets, because I think right now the stock market is a little bit high on its own supply. I think there are a lot of people out there who believe the Russia-Ukraine thing is going to come to a natural terminus. There's not going to be any long-term reshaping of the global supply chains. There's not going to be any long-term reshaping of the global markets. We'll sort of go back to status quo ante, where globalization was the norm. And it seems unlikely over the long haul that that is going to be the case. Maybe in the short term, things go back to something relatively normal. But over the long haul, it looks like we are looking at the reshaping of the world markets in pretty dramatic ways. Stock futures are gaining, which is something I don't understand. But here is the thing. There are lots of things in the world that I don't understand. One person who helps me get clarity on some of the issues I don't understand is Jordan Harbinger. If you check out Jordan Harbinger's show, you will find a top shelf podcast that really teaches you something new every time. Don't just ignore the suggestion to listen to this podcast the way you do with your friends when they tell you to listen to podcasts. This one is really, really good. Check out Jordan Harbinger's podcast. He has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-has-been-heard-before stories and thought-provoking insights. Without fail, he pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode, all with the noble cause to make you a more informed, critical thinker to better operate in today's world. I really think there just isn't a better podcast to listen to casually. He may even expand your worldview. He's got a strangely relatable weekly segment called Feedback Friday, where Jordan covers advice on everything from psycho family situations to relationships to networking. I don't always agree with Jordan, but I always learn something new. You can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It's very interesting. There is never a dull show. Search for the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, 
G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. He's got episodes like Dan Carlin, Kobe Bryant, Scott Adams, Jack Shet, just tons of really interesting stuff. Check him out right now, The Jordan Harbinger Show. So meanwhile, the latest in Ukraine is that Ukraine is mounting counteroffensives to drive Russians back from Kyiv and other key cities, according to the Wall Street Journal. Ukraine said on Wednesday, it has launched a counteroffensive against Russian forces encroaching on the capital and other key cities hours before President Vladimir Zelensky is due to address Congress about the war in his country. The thump of distant shelling echoed through the center of Kyiv overnight as Ukrainian forces appeared to counterattack in outlying towns including Irpin, Bucha, and Hostomel, which have been severely damaged in weeks of street fighting and artillery exchanges. The city and the surrounding region were placed under an all-day curfew on Wednesday. Ukrainian forces also said they pressed an offensive south and east of the southern port of Mykolaiv, moving in the direction of Kherson, which is the only Ukrainian regional capital occupied by Russia since the war began on February 24th. Ukraine said it carried out an airstrike on the Kherson airport, which is now a Russian airbase. Satellite imagery from the tarmac showed seven destroyed or damaged Russian helicopters, some of them engulfed in flames. Kiev also said it shot down two Russian Su-30 SM jets over the Black Sea off Odessa. Moscow is not commenting on its combat losses. The counteroffensive by Ukrainian armed forces radically changes the party's disposition, tweeted Mikhailo Podolyak. That's the Ukrainian presidential advisor negotiating a possible ceasefire with Russia. The talks via video conference will resume today, he added, saying there is room for compromise despite fundamental contradictions. The main area of progress, according to the two sides, have to do with mutual security concerns. Ukraine is ready to recognize that member in NATO is unlikely anytime soon. They're considering dropping that in exchange for binding security guarantees from its Western partners and Russia. That is only one item on the agenda. There's little room for compromise on Russia's demands that Kiev recognize the 2014 annexation of Crimea by Moscow and the self-proclaimed independence of Russian-backed statelets in Donetsk and Luhansk. An official said, I don't see a breakthrough. At this stage, both sides believe they can win the war. Any war ends in agreement, Zelensky said in an overnight address. As I am told, the positions in the negotiations sound more realistic. However, time is still needed for the decisions to be in Ukraine's interest. So at this point, Zelensky is sounding a note as though he believes that he's actually going to outright win the war over Russia. There are some military experts, by the way, who are starting to sound like this. You know, I don't want to get unduly optimistic because I don't know what to believe. There's the Ukrainian war propaganda, there's Russian war propaganda, there's Western war propaganda. Very difficult to know what the situation on the ground is like. Very difficult to know exactly how deep the Russian forces go. There has been some talk that Russia is running thin, which is why they're already recruiting troops from South Ossetia and bringing those into Ukraine proper. The idea being that they're running thin or that they may have to bring Belarus into the war, that this offensive is stalled so badly, they now need to bring in outside forces. If that's the case, then Zelensky is basically making the case Keep giving us material and we will stave off the Russians long enough that they have to go home without any significant gain here. However, as I've said before, I think the most likely scenario as time wears on is that Zelensky probably cuts a deal whereby some form of neutrality with Western guarantees of security is made permanent. And Crimea is recognized, but maybe not the republics in, uh, and when I say republics, I mean puppet states in Donetsk and Luhansk. I think that that is probably where something like this ends up. Meanwhile, Zelensky is set to make a forceful push to Congress today. He's making a virtual speech. Zelensky's virtual speech is set to be a critique also of the United States. This is what Zelensky has been doing. He's been going around to to various countries and basically trying to shame them into giving more support. He says that Biden should be giving him MIGs, for example. Biden, for his part, is expected to announce about a billion dollars in new military assistance to the Ukraine government as early as Wednesday. The aid is expected to include more of the same kinds of military equipment the U.S. says the Ukrainians need to repel Russian attacks. That'd be anti-armor and anti-air systems like javelins and stingers. 
That money would come from the roughly $13.6 billion allotted for Ukraine in that omnibus budget law. Now, remember, that money that was allotted for Ukraine, only a small part of that is allocated for actual military material. Zelensky's remarks to Congress come a day after he made a similar appeal Tuesday to the Canadian government, according to the Wall Street Journal, asking again for help to close the sky over Ukraine and increase sanctions on Russia. He said, every night is a horrible night, saying 97 kids have been killed since the Russian military bombardment of his country began. He said, please stop the bombing. How many more missiles have to fall on our cities until you make this happen? And then the Canadian parliament gave him a standing ovation. So Congress is likely to provide him with more funding, although the possibility of a no-fly zone uh, is going to be a tough one. Senator Tide Young of Indiana, Republican, he says his communication with senators has been incredibly helpful in recent weeks to understand what his people need, but it's going to be difficult for Congress to meet the no-fly zone demand coming from Vladimir Zelensky. In other news, by the way, it turns out that um, Vladimir Putin, he's sending like his generals to the front lines and they're getting shot on a fairly regular basis. Well, if you need new employees the way that Vladimir Putin apparently does, you need to go check out Zip Recruiter. According to the latest research, 90% of employers plan to make enhancing the employee experience a top priority in 2022. Well, if you are looking for great employees and having a tough time, no matter how much you're expanding the work experience, you need Zip Recruiter. Their matching technology helps you find the right people for your roles fast. Right now, you can try Zip Recruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Zip Recruiter uses its powerful technology to find and match the right candidates up with your job. Then it proactively presents these candidates to you. It can easily review these recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply for your job. That encourages them to apply faster. No wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one rated hiring site in the United States based on G2 ratings. ZipRecruiter's technology is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within day one. Find the right employees for your workplace with ZipRecruiter the way we do here at Daily Wire. Try it for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. And meanwhile, there's talk that Russia may up the ante here. NATO's Jan Stoltenberg says that Russia could stage a false flag operation using chemical weapons, saying that Ukraine unleashed chemical weapons against it. Now it's going to have to double down on its offensive. Here he was yesterday. Now they are making absurd claims about biological labs and chemical weapons in Ukraine. This is just another lie. And we are concerned that Moscow could stage a false flag operation, possibly including chemical weapons. Now, the reality is that there, there's no necessity at this point for Vladimir Putin to stage any sort of false flag operation. He's already in there. Right? He obviously is going to do what exactly he is going to do. And this is an extraordinarily deadly war. I mean, there's, there's no question that the Russians have lost thousands upon thousands of troops. More troops have been lost by the Russians in this two-week, three-week offensive and were lost by the United States across the entirety of both the Iraq and the Afghanistan wars, which shows you a couple of things. One, the American military, unbelievably good at its job. Two, the Russian military, obviously very bad at its job. But things are very dangerous in Ukraine, obviously. According to the New York Times, a Fox News cameraman and a Ukrainian journalist traveling with him were killed on Monday in Ukraine when their vehicle came under fire outside Kyiv. The cameraman, Pierre Zarzuski, 55, and the Ukrainian journalist, Alexandra Kushivnova, 24, were traveling in the same vehicle as another Fox News correspondent, Benjamin Hall, who was also injured in the attack in the town of Horenka. Hall is hospitalized in Ukraine. So obviously things are, are continuing to be very dangerous there, and uh, our prayers are with all the journalists who are covering the situation in Ukraine. So how has this reshaped the global order? Well, it's, it's reshaped the global order in a few pretty dramatic ways. So the the 
financial global order is beginning to reshape itself. For example, right now, it is very obvious that the Russians, the, the Russian economy is basically dead. For all intents and purposes, its debt is, is completely useless. If you had ownership of Russian debt, you are getting paid back in meaningless money. According to the New York Times, Russia is now teetering on the edge of a possible sovereign debt default. The first sign could come as early as today. The Russian government owes about $40 billion in debt denominated in U.S. dollars and euros. Half of those bonds are owned by foreign investors. Russian corporations have racked up $100 billion in foreign currency debt, according to J.P. Morgan. On Wednesday, $117 million in interest payments on dollar-denominated government debt are due. But Russia is increasingly isolated from global financial markets. Investors are losing hope they're going to see their money. The government is saying that it will pay its dollar or euro-denominated debt obligations in rubles instead, which is essentially just default. And if you owe $117 million in U.S. dollars, and you say, I will pay you in these worthless rubles, everybody who was your creditor, everybody who gave you money is going to get screwed. The Russian currency has lost 40% of its value against the U.S. dollar in the past month. Even if the payments were made, economic sanctions would make it difficult for Western lenders to even access the rubles if they are in Russian bank accounts. It's not that Russia doesn't have money, says Kristalina Georgieva, managing director of the IMF. The problem is Russia can't use a lot of its international currency reserves because they've been frozen by sanctions. She says, I'm not going to speculate what may or may not happen just to say that no more we talk about Russian default as an improbable event. So Russia last defaulted on its debt in 1998. And that led to a, a massive debt payments crisis. It led to the collapse of the U.S. hedge fund long-term capital management that required Federal Reserve intervention and a multi-billion dollar payout. If Russia actually failed to make payments, that would be the first default since the 1917 Russian Revolution. So there would be some pretty significant bleed-over effects into the world markets. Regulators said that the risks to global banking systems wouldn't be systemic because of the limited direct exposure to Russian assets. Still, financial companies are scrambling to assess their exposure at this point. And it's easy for people to say there won't be a massive bleed-over effect until there's a massive bleed-over effect. Again, according to Bloomberg, Russia's economy is fraying, its currency has collapsed, its debt is junk. Next up is a potential default that could cost investors billions and shut the country out of most funding markets. The government says all debt will be serviced, though it won't, that it will now happen in rubles as long as sanctions don't allow for dollar settlements. It'll be a monumental default says Jonathan Prin, portfolio manager at Greylock Capital Associates. In dollar terms, it will be the most impactful emerging market default since Argentina's. In terms of broader market impact, it's probably the most broadly felt emerging market default since Russia itself in 1998. And so what this means is that Russia is looking to get very aggressive about seizing foreign assets. Apparently, according to John Rigolizzo over at The Daily Wire, Vladimir Putin has now signed a law allowing Russia to seize leased airplanes to counter the sanctions. So Russia will now seize planes on lease to the country for use in domestic travel. This is their latest attempt to maneuver around the situation. This would allow Russian airlines to keep and operate commuter planes on lease from foreign aircraft manufacturers that have pulled out of the Russian market. Now, that would have a limited economic effect, but it does lead to the possibility that you will see Russia start to nationalize foreign assets in an attempt to pay back its debt, which of course would not help them on the world markets at all. But what it also means is that they are going to be looking for a bailout from China. And so China is sitting outside, figuring that the longer this goes on, the better off they are. There's a piece by Kin Gang, who's an ambassador for the PRC to the United States. There's a piece in the Washington Post today called Where We Stand on Ukraine. Here's what he says. Many Americans are understandably trying to understand where China stands as the crisis in Ukraine unfolds. So I want to take this opportunity to fully explain and dispel any misunderstandings and rumors. 
There had been claims China had prior knowledge of Russia's military activity and demanded Russia delay it until the Winter Olympics were over. Recent rumors further claim that Russia was seeking military assistance from China. Let me say this responsibly. Assertions that China knew about, acquiesced to, or tacitly supported this war are pure disinformation. All these claims serve only the purpose of shifting blame to and slinging mud at China. Uh, yeah, I don't believe you. They say China is committed to an independent foreign policy of peace. As a staunch champion of justice, China decides its position on the basis of the merits of the issue. On Ukraine, China's position is objective and impartial. The purposes and principle of the UN Charter must be fully observed. The sovereignty and territorial integrity of all countries, including Ukraine, must be respected. The legitimate security concerns of all countries must be taken seriously. And all efforts that are conducive to the peaceful settlement of the crisis must be supported. Given this, threats against Chinese entities and businesses, as uttered by some U.S. officials, are unacceptable. Neither war nor sanctions can deliver peace. Wielding the baton of sanctions at Chinese companies while seeking China's support and cooperation simply won't work. Some people are linking Taiwan and Ukraine to play up the risks of a conflict in the Taiwan Strait. This is a mistake. These are totally different things, says the Chinese ambassador. Ukraine is a sovereign state. Taiwan is an inseparable part of China's territory. Oh, so yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> I love this. How dare you look at Ukraine and think Russia might invade you? They invade Ukraine. Maybe China will invade Taiwan. We can't invade Taiwan. You see, we already own Taiwan, which is just what Vladimir Putin said about Ukraine. It's just an internal matter. The Taiwan question is a Chinese internal affair, says the ambassador. It doesn't make sense for people to emphasize the principle of sovereignty on Ukraine while hurting China's sovereignty and territorial integrity on Taiwan. The future of Taiwan lies in peaceful development of cross-strait relations and the reunification of China. We are committed to peaceful reunification, but we also retain all options to curb Taiwan independence. Wow, wow, wow. So, I mean, that, that is a threat to invade Taiwan, obviously. The Chinese ambassador continues. He says, China has made huge efforts to push for peace talks and the prevention of a humanitarian crisis. President Xi expressed China's support to see Russia and Ukraine hold peace talks as early as possible. Yang Zhichi, the director of the Office of the Central Commission for Foreign Affairs, just met with National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan in Rome. State Councilor Wang Yi has also maintained close communications with Secretary of State Antony Blinken and other foreign ministers. China has outlined a six-point initiative that calls for making sure humanitarian operations abide by principles of neutrality, gives full attention to displaced persons in and from Ukraine, ensures the protection of civilians, provides for safe and smooth humanitarian aid efforts, provides for the safety of foreign nationals in Ukraine, and supports the UN coordinating role in channeling humanitarian aid. So, um, in other words, there's nothing there that says that they are pressuring Russia to stop the invasion. So China is going to continue doing what it is that China does. And the weaker the West looks, the more you're starting to see non-aligned nations begin to hedge their bets. And this is what you're seeing with India right now. So India right now is in an awkward position. It gets an enormous amount of military material from Russia. Meanwhile, they've got China on their eastern border. And they've been worried. I mean, there have been actual armed conflicts between India and China repeatedly over the past couple of decades. And so they are always worried about Chinese military predations in their east. They're worried about Pakistan in their north. And so they're very concerned about making sure that they are armed up and also having a sort of friendly policy toward China, triangulating with China is not necessarily bad policy given the looming military threat that China poses. And so India has been making nice with a lot of people the United States wish India were not making nice with. According to the New York Times, India is currently in talks with Moscow about increasing oil imports from Russia in an effort to keep spiraling prices in check. Check, India's petroleum minister told Parliament this week. This move comes as New Delhi is also trying to preserve its relationship with Moscow, its biggest supplier of weapons, while India faces an aggressive China on its borders. Hardeep Singh Puri, India's Minister of Gas and Petroleum, said, I myself have had a conversation with the appropriate levels of the Russian Federation. 
India depends on imports for about 80% of its oil needs. 3% of that comes from Russia. India's oil and petroleum imports from Russia amount to about $1 billion. Reuters reported earlier Indian officials were in talks with Russia to import crude at a discounted price and that one of India's main refineries had brought had already bought millions of barrels from the trader VTOL to be delivered in May. India is playing a tricky balancing act, working with Ukraine and Western allies while stopping short of voting against Russia in international forum. So how's the United States responding to this? Well, we're not making oil guarantees. To This is where American energy production would be a big win for us, but we're not doing that. Instead, we're going to try to shame India into not helping out Russia. So here is Jen Psaki from the White House yesterday thinking that she is going to shame India into giving up its national interest. This is the dumbest nonsense. It really is. When you see people say things like, well, if, if only these people understood the weight of history, if only they understood that history will not judge them kindly. You think Modi over in India cares about history judging him kindly? Or does he care more about securing oil imports and making sure he has the Russian war material necessary to defend his country on the borders? Jen Psaki, I mean, this kind of crap, this Barack Obama garbage, the hashtag diplomacy is so stupid. Here's Jen Psaki doing it yesterday. Well, our message to, to any country continues to be that uh, obviously abide by the sanctions, uh, but that we we have put in place and recommended. Uh, I don't believe this would be violating that, but also think about where you want to stand uh, when, when the history books are written in this moment in time. Uh, and uh, support for uh, Rus the Russian leadership is support for um, an invasion that uh, obviously is having a devastating impact. Oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, that's that, that, that obviously history will, will judge this sort of, again, this, the idea that this is any sort of substitute for real policy is just ridiculous. So you've got India, which is realigning with Russia in pretty serious ways. And as we'll talk about in just a minute, you're starting to see China make some pretty extraordinary moves on the international stage with regard to world economics. So the financial markets, the world financial markets are about to become a mess. And this is just another reason. There are many, many reasons. There are a lot of stressors in life. You need life insurance. You got somebody who's relying on your income and God forbid you are worried that you're going to get hit by a car or that an airplane is going to drop out of the sky and boom, you are vaporized. Well, here is the thing. That would be a bad day for you, but it would be a worse day for your family because your family, number one, they lose you. Number two, they lose their source of income. You need life insurance. You can get it over at Policy Genius. Policy Genius is your one-stop shop to find and buy the insurance you need. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro, answer a few questions. In minutes, you can compare personalized quotes from top companies to find your lowest price. It could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. A team of licensed experts will help you understand your options and apply for the policy you choose. The Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance companies. You can trust them to offer unbiased help and advocate for you at every step until you are covered. Policy Genius does not add on extra fees. They don't sell your information to third parties. Policy Genius has thousands of five-star reviews across Google and Trustpilot. Since 2014, Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for insurance and placed over $120 billion in coverage. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save right now. Alrighty, folks, it is time for my third Thursday book club again. You still have a chance to sign up. Tomorrow, I'll take members through my analysis of A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. I can't wait to read it and discuss it with you. Remember, Third Thursday Book Club is a live experience. You get to engage with me like never before. Here's the thing. Even if you haven't read the book we discussed, you will feel well-read by the time we are done because I'm going to be your guide. I'm going to show you why each one is such an important work. When you sign up, you'll also get my notes. That's a cheat sheet to the important lessons, themes, and characters. Remember, we're doing all this with thousands of Daily Wire members live. 
Seriously, this is not like any book club you've ever been a part of. And it's getting better every episode. Sign up for the Third Thursday Book Club at thirdthursdaybookclub.com to get my notes sent straight to your inbox for A Tale of Two Cities. Set a reminder to join the conversation tomorrow, Thursday, March 17th, 8 p.m. Eastern. By the way, tomorrow, I'm also gonna be mentioning what's the next book we'll be reading. I'm really excited about that one. Also, as you know, in the publishing industry, if it's true, good chat, it doesn't get published. The Daily Wire is changing all of that. We have our own publishing wing, DW Books. We are proud to be publishing books, actively fighting the left's monopoly on storytelling. The first is 12 Seconds in the Dark by Sergeant Mattingly. This book is the true story of what really happened the night of the tragic Breonna Taylor shooting. Mattingly, a 20-year police veteran, walks through the situation moment by moment. He debunks all of the lies that you have been told by the media. Check out the trailer. It was very chaotic. It was very quick. Instantly, I knew I was shot. Breonna Taylor, she was caught in the crossfire of those bullets. As soon as your brain's registering, it's already over. The media got so many things wrong in this case, saying we had the wrong apartment. Her name wasn't on the warrant. She was shot and killed in her sleep, in her bed. These are lies. This is not true. And all the while, you're hearing all these outside influences from athletes and Oprah and Ellen DeGeneres and Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, all those people coming and attacking you, putting your name on their account saying he should be in prison. All these things that they have no idea what they're talking about, but they have such influence. The more we attack police for doing their job, the less good qualified police you're going to have. When you read 12 Seconds in the Dark, you will find out the truth of what really happened the night of the Breonna Taylor raid. We talked to Sergeant Mattingly on the radio show yesterday. It is unbelievable how many lies were told about the Breonna Taylor case, and he really blows all of them up in his brand new book. The book is available now on Amazon or anywhere you buy books online. Go order your copy today. I can promise you it's going to sell out super fast. Also, as you know at this point, The Daily Wire does not stop creating awesome new content. We are super excited about our latest docu-series, Fauci Unmasked. The show exposes the most successful failure in government history, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Hosted by our very own Michael Knowles, he will peel back the mask on Fauci's past and show the world's leading scientist for what he really is, a fraud. The first episode dropped this morning explores Fauci as the voice of the AIDS crisis in the 80s. The results? Well, it's the kind of thing you have to see to believe. Here's a sneak peek. He's the highest paid employee in our federal government. And beginning in the spring of 2020, Dr. Fauci began to set national policy that affected the way that 330 million Americans lived their lives. For goodness sakes, I'm telling you, wear a mask, keep social distancing. There's nothing political about that. But who is Anthony Fauci? People who have conspiracy theories, those are people that don't particularly care for me. In this short series, we will do what the establishment media have refused to do. We will give you an unvarnished look at the career of the most powerful politician in America, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Don't you think it's time that you step down and let someone else who has a more effective message? Actually, no. Very few figures in American history need a thorough fisking quite like Dr. Anthony Fauci and Michael is there to do it. The three-part series will be dropping an episode a day starting today, ending this Friday. It is available exclusively at The Daily Wire if you're not yet a member. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe to join today. The show is great since we are only adding more content every day. You don't want to miss it. One final note. This one I'm really excited about. Crane & Company, that's our newest sports podcast. We have a March Madness Bracket Challenge. I filled mine out. See if you can beat me. My bracket is titled, you know, the thing. Today is the last day to sign up 
at bracketchallenge2022.com. Make sure to get your bracket in today. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Well, given the West's action with regard to Ukraine and Russia, you're starting to see a bunch of financial moves that are really, really important. So India is starting to realign with Russia for a bunch of very real politic reasons. You started to see foreign banks that are starting to move away from the U.S. dollar because, after all, one of the measures that was taken during this crisis was the West basically freezing all foreign asset accounts of the Russians. So if they had dollars, we just froze the dollars. Okay, so that means that if you are China, for example, you are immediately attempting to get into gold, right? Something fungible that is not going to be held hostage by digital denominations at some sort of foreign bank. So that is going to have a major impact. Meanwhile, as the West continues to try to woo Iran in the most bizarre and, and self-defeating policy I've seen really since the Obama administration, it's so unbelievable that they are attempting to make overtures to the Iranian ayatollahs at a time when their chief broker is the Russians. And while the Iranians are firing missiles at American consulates in Iraq, it, and, and meanwhile, driving away many of the major oil-producing areas on planet Earth, like Saudi Arabia, for example, or UAE, like what are you doing? What are you doing? You're so high, uh, you're so up your own butt at this point that you think that you're smelling roses. That ain't roses, okay? I, I, I honestly do not know what this administration thinks they are doing other than that they are so deeply believing in their own stupid ideas that they, they fail to recognize that the world has repudiated, repudiated those ideas over and over and over. And it's not just the United States, by the way. Apparently, Britain is now looking at ways to pay a 400 million pound, that's $522 million debt to Iran according to the foreign secretary in Iran. The debt was widely believed to be linked to the detention of UK dual nationals. Iran is releasing some of those dual nationals. And apparently, Iran is now going to be releasing $500 million for Iran to fund terrorism to pay for hostages. Meanwhile, the United States continues to draw closer and closer to a garbage Iran deal that is likely to massively increase the ability of the Iranians to fund terrorism. And that deal is also likely to include carve-outs for Russians doing business with Iran. So you have the Indians doing business with Russia. You have the Russians doing business with Iran. And meanwhile, what is that leading to? Well, that's leading to countries like Saudi Arabia saying, well, what if we just don't want to help out the United States as much anymore? What if we need to triangulate with China? Because obviously the United States is siding with Iran. So don't we need to hedge our bets? According to the Wall Street Journal, that's precisely what's happening. China, Saudi Arabia is now in active talks with Beijing to price some of its oil sales to China in yuan. People familiar with the matter said, a move that would dent the U.S. dollar's dominance of the global petroleum market and mark another shift by the world's top crude exporter toward Asia. The talks with China over yuan-priced oil contracts have been off and on for six years, but have accelerated this year as the Saudis have grown increasingly unhappy with decades-old U.S. security commitments to defend the kingdom. The Saudis are angry over the U.S.'s lack of support for their intervention in the Yemen civil war, which is funded by the Iranians, and over the Biden administration's attempt to strike a deal with Iran over its nuclear program. Saudi officials said they were shocked by the precipitous U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan last year. China buys more than 25% of the oil Saudi Arabia exports. If priced in one, those sales would boost the standing of China's currency. Right now, the Saudis demand that the Chinese pay in dollars. So if they say, no, 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 you get to pay in yuan now, then that definitely helps the Chinese because they control their own currency, they don't control the dollar. The Saudis are also considering including yuan's denominated future contracts known as Petro Yuan in the pricing model of Saudi Arabian oil company known as Aramco. 
It'd be a profound shift for Saudi Arabia to price even some of its roughly 6.2 million barrels of de- a day of crude exports in anything other than dollars. The majority of global oil sales, around 80 bucks, are done in dollars. Saudis have traded oil exclusively in dollars since 1974 in a deal with the Nixon administration that included security guarantees for the kingdom. China introduced yuan-priced oil contracts in 2018 as part of its efforts to make its currency tradable across the world. They haven't made a dent in the dollar's dominance of the oil market. For China, using dollars has become a hazard highlighted by the United States sanctions on Iran over its nuclear program and on Russia in response to the Ukraine invasion. So imagine China stops holding U.S. dollars. The yuan becomes much more durable on the world markets because now it's being used in oil trade. Other countries start using yuan because they have to at least hedge between the United States and Chinese markets. And they stop denominating all of their assets in dollars. The U.S. dollar stops becoming the world's global reserve currency. And China becomes a competitor for that. That is a major impact on how, for example, the United States raises debt in the future. How do we fund all of these massive social boondoggle spending programs that we've been promising people? How do we refinance our national debt, given the fact that we're going to have to pay back all that stuff? It turns out when there's less demand for U.S. dollars, that makes the United States significantly weaker. As American power in the world markets declines, that is very bad for American citizens. Your dollar is not going to go nearly as far as it used to, and it's not going to be tradable in as many ways as it used to be tradable. The dollar has always been the best bet in terms of holdings for, for foreign financial entities. What if that's no longer the case? Because they are so afraid that if they cross us, we're going to freeze their assets, number one. And number two, they're looking at our foreign policy and thinking, sometimes it's better to be an American enemy than to be an American ally, apparently. If you're Iran, it's better to be Iran right now than Saudi Arabia. Right now, Saudi Arabia is getting undercut by the United States. And so Saudi Arabia is turning to China. Now, all of this is necessary for the Chinese because the Chinese have to make aggressive moves. The fact is that as Xi Jinping has moved away from state capitalism and toward more autarky, he is going to need to create a a harder core sphere of of influence. If you are more competitive on world markets, if you're more engaged in free markets, you don't need autarky. You don't need to be solidly connected with three or four countries and you guys just create your own sphere of influence. Instead, you can engage competitively in world markets. But Xi Jinping has been moving away from that. And so that means he needs his sphere of influence. According to the Wall Street Journal last year, President Xi Jinping seemed all but invincible. Now his push to steer China away from capitalism and the West has thrown the Chinese economy into uncertainty and exposed faint cracks in his hold on power. Chinese policymakers became alarmed at the end of last year by how sharply growth had slowed after Xi tightened controls on private businesses, from tech giants to property developers. Meanwhile, China's stringent COVID lockdowns, part of Xi's approach to handling the crisis, have ramped up again as COVID cases surge, hurting both consumer spending and factory output. Add to that a pact with Russia in early February, just weeks ahead of its invasion of Ukraine, that has widened a gulf between China and the West and underlined how high the cost could be for China of implementing Xi's agenda at home and in foreign policy. But by the way, just because... It's not great on just a pure economic level for China to form a sphere of influence and solidify its connections with places like Saudi Arabia and Russia and do all of that in the face of giving up market advantages in the West. That doesn't mean it's great for the United States if all of those countries fall into the Chinese sphere of influence because we are so concerned with our own navel-gazing environmental policy that we won't create energy, or we're so concerned with our navel-gazing economic policy that we blow out our debt or we are so concerned with our navel-gazing foreign policy that we make concessions to the worst terror states on earth. There is no substitute for American strength and reliability. In the absence of American strength and reliability, the world order breaks down into spheres of influence that are really bad for Americans. And we can pretend that they're not bad for Americans, but they really, really are. And we're about to find that out in short order in pretty ugly ways, given the trajectory right now. All right, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. In the meantime, go check out 
one of our newest podcasts, Morning Wire. On today's episode, they report on the growing number of moms getting involved in school boards and Disney going after Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. That episode is available right now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to tune in. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about The Ben Shapiro Show by giving us a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out some of our other Daily Wire shows. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our production manager is Pavel Wydowski. Associate producer, Bradford Carrington. Editing is by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our show, Morning Wire, where we bring you all the news that you need to know in 15 minutes or less. Join me and my co-host, Georgia Howe, for daily coverage of all the biggest stories on Morning Wire. Morning Wire. 